Good morning. It is good to see you. We're glad that you are here. Thank you for coming and joining us for worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning. Thank you for all of you who are joining us online. We're glad to have you as well, and we are thrilled to be able to worship the Lord on this beautiful Sunday morning. And uh, you guys just look lovely uh, as, as always. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn with me once again to the Gospel of John and to chapter 21. John chapter 21, as Ted alluded earlier, we're, we're coming to the close of, of our study through this sermon series that we've been uh, looking through for quite a while now as we've been examining the final chapters of, of John's gospel. And we have, uh, in this series, we've examined the events leading up to the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. We've, we've studied from John's perspective how things went and when he was crucified on the cross, we have looked uh, as Jesus was there and all of that and how that applied to our lives. And then we have also considered the various appearances that Jesus made to uh, his disciples and to others after he was raised from the dead. And today, as we conclude our study, I want us to examine what is, unashamedly, and I will tell you right up front, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Uh, It's a passage that I always look forward to preaching from whenever the Holy Spirit uh, directs me to it. And, And of course, just in the natural flow of our text in this series, it's brought us to it today. Um... The final half of chapter 21 really is a continuation of the story that began in the first part of chapter 21 uh, that we began looking at last week where John tells us that there were seven disciples who had gone out on a boat on the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, interchangeable names, and they had gone fishing as they awaited for Jesus to reappear to them as he had promised that he would. And John names the disciples who were out there. It was, it was himself, but it was Peter and Thomas, Nathaniel. Um, it was James and John. And then I also believe, as I made the case last week, most believe that it was also Andrew and Philip who had gone out on this boat. But even as we, as we studied, what we noted last week is though John identifies himself and he d- identifies those other disciples, what we recognize is, is that the one disciple with whom this passage is the most concerned is Peter. He really is the one that, that is this whole entire scene is centering around. Now you'll recall, Peter was Jesus' disciple who had been very vocal about his willingness to follow his Lord no matter what happened. It was Peter who had promised that he would stick with Jesus no matter what. John records his words this way back in John chapter 13. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. But as the events of John 18 make clear, Peter didn't do that. In fact, after Jesus was arrested, when he was questioned about his relationship with Jesus, Peter did not, not only did he not lay down his life for Jesus, he denied even knowing who Jesus was three separate times. Now, it's important, I think, that we not forget that. In fact, I think it lays in the background of everything that we're going to look at this morning. You see, even though Peter's failure had occurred a few weeks earlier, two, maybe three weeks earlier, the time that we can't pin it down specifically, but there's a connection between what happened there on that night, on that dark night in Jerusalem, and what occurs here on the soft morning glow of this seashore next to the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I want to point out to you that the connection that exists 
between these two events is unmistakable because John draws our attention to it by giving us a visual marker that strategically connects the two. Remember back in John 18 when Peter failed so miserably by denying the Lord? Well, according to chapter 18, verse 8, the backdrop for those three denials was, was a fire of coals that, that Peter stood next to along with the servants and the officers of the high priest who had just arrested Jesus. John tells us that those men had built a fire and that Peter stood next to it warming himself by it. Well, as, as we read last week, here in John chapter 21, back in verse 9, we read that there's a second fire of coals. Only this time we have to assume that it was Jesus who had made that fire. And what we also recognize is rather than it serving as the backdrop to Peter's failure, this fire serves as the backdrop to Peter's forgiveness. John tells us that on this fire of coals were fish that Jesus was roasting. We also read that he had bread for them as well. And so John tells us that he invited all of the disciples, including Peter, to come and to have breakfast with him. And so... It is with that, with that crackling fire in the background and that smell of, of roasting fish in our nostrils. That's, that's the background and the backdrop for our text this morning. So let's begin reading there in verse 15. Because there we read, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, John says, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one that betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are so many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you for this beautiful day that you have given to us for this opportunity of the people of God to be gathered together 
in the house of God with the word of God open before us. And now we, we yearn and we desire and we pray expecting to hear a word from you this morning. So I pray just as Pastor Ted prayed earlier that you'd help us to drive out all the distractions that are in our lives. There are multiple things that might keep us from being able to focus and to hear you this morning. I pray that you would help us to drive those distractions away. I pray that as we focus on your word, that our hearts would be open, our, our spiritual ears would be tuned to you, that we might hear from you. And then, Lord, not just hear from you, but respond accordingly to that which we hear. We, we pray that our hearts would be moved to a life of obedience, of following you, just as Jesus told Peter in this passage, that we would choose and, and make it our decision to follow hard after you. I pray these things. I ask them in the strong and the mighty and the wonderful name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to provide you with just a few hooks for us to hang our thoughts on today as we work our way through this text. Uh, and we're going to conclude with then, after at the close, we'll, we'll have some closing lessons that I want to reiterate that I think uh, bubble up from what we will have studied today. You're going to find all those notes there in your bulletin that you have there in front of you. And so the first hook that I want to provide for you is a word that we've really already discussed uh, in general, and it is the word failure. Um, specifically, we have noted Peter's failure. His three denials of the Lord Jesus there in the courtyard of the high priest on the night that Jesus was arrested. But, but we don't have to only discuss Peter's failure, do we? I would imagine every single one of us in this room are quite familiar with our own failures and how our own lives have, have imitated that of Peter's. Perhaps you know some specific things in your own life. I recall some things specifically in my own. All of us can identify with Peter and with failure. Unfortunately, we know not only what it's like to disappoint others, we know what it's like to disappoint ourselves. We know what it's like to disappoint those closest to us. And worse still, we know what it's like to disappoint Jesus. If we are honest with ourselves today, failure is something that all of us are familiar with. Failure is a powerful word. It's a word loaded with heavy freight. Failure is a word that not only describes what we've done, I have failed. Failure is also a word that is sometimes used by others and sometimes even by ourselves to describe us. I'm a failure. Failure is a very, very powerful word. What I want you to know is that as powerful of a word as failure is, forgiveness is even more powerful. And so is the word restoration. In fact, that's the second hook. I want to move quickly from failure to the second hook in your text that I want you to see, and it's the two words, forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness and restoration. Notice that after breakfast was over, Jesus asked Peter, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, Kent Hughes, he, he observes that even though John does not say what ran through Peter's mind at these cutting words, he says, from our own experience, 
we can imagine that Peter's heart probably began to race and his stomach churned and his cheeks burned and his eyes misted. He says this was a tense moment. Now, I think it's tense at least for the first reason in who, who Jesus addresses here. It's tense because of the way that what Jesus calls Peter. He calls him Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John. Now, why should that be an interest to us? Well, you remember that, that Simon, son of Jonah, that was the name that Peter had gone by before he met Christ. But you'll also remember on that night when, when, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am, that it was, it was Simon, son of Jonah, who had stood up and said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed, Peter, you are right, Peter. And the Spirit of God is the one who has revealed that to you. And so now Jesus changed His name. You'll no longer be known as Simon. You are going to be Peter. You are going to be Petros. You are going to be the rock upon which this church, the church will be built. You are, you are got a new name. But here, He refers to him as Simon, son of Jonah. I believe this moment was tense at least partially, because by referring to him as Simon, the, the old name, Jesus is letting Peter know, look, there's something that's happened between me and you that needs to be addressed. That's the first thing that I think there's tenseness in this moment. But I believe that the moment is made even more tense by the question that Jesus asks. He says, do you love me more than these? In other words, as I interpret it, I believe Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because you remember what, Je what, what Peter had said to Jesus? Peter had said to Jesus that even if everyone else abandoned him, I'll never abandon you, Lord. Matthew records it this way. In Matthew's gospel, Peter declared that though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. But he did. And the reality was that when the going got rough, Peter did not even know who Jesus was. And so Jesus asked him, Simon, do you love me? Do you really love me? Now, John wrote his gospel in the Greek language. And in the Greek, there are a few different words that we translate as love in English. For example, John writes here, when, when Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, then John uses the verb form of the word agape. That's the Greek word for love. But then when Peter responds to Jesus, declaring his love for him, John uses the verb form of the word phileo, which is also a Greek word for love. And there have many, been many who along the way have made a big deal of the difference between those two loves, the difference between agape love and the difference between phileo love. And I would just simply say, but when Jesus and Peter spoke, they were, they, were very, they were speaking in Aramaic. John is writing this in Greek, and we have translated it into English. I personally believe that too much is made of the difference between those loves. Others will disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. But I would simply say to this, to you, is that in John's gospel, the word agape and the word phileo is used fairly interchangeably throughout. For example... When John writes, the father loves the son, in John chapter 3, verse 35, he uses the verbal form of the word agape 
in that sentence. But when, when we read that exact same sentence in John chapter 5, verse 20, the Father loves the Son, John there uses the verbal form of the word phileo. In John chapter 11, when the love that Jesus has for his friend Lazarus is described, both words, agape and phileo, are used in that context of John chapter 11. And so from my perspective, there's really not much difference between how John uses it as much as it is a matter of preference in his writing style. And I believe that Jesus is asking, look, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he responds, Lord, you know the answer to that question. You know that I love you. What I think is very interesting that ought to be focused in on is the fact that Jesus asks Peter this question three times. And John tells us that upon the third asking of that question, Peter is grieved. And the question is, well, why is he grieved by that third question or, or that series of, of three questions? Well, as we've already considered the last time that Peter was around a fire of coals and was being asked a question about Jesus, he denied even knowing the Lord three different times. However, here Jesus is asked a question about Jesus three times again as well. But the questions are completely different and they're asked for a completely different agenda. These questions do not come from those who accused Peter of being connected to Jesus. No, these questions come from Jesus himself. And even more importantly, these questions don't come before, but after Jesus' death and resurrection. And consequently, these these questions are not intended to threaten Peter. They're intended to restore Peter. But even in that regard, you can understand how these questions had to hurt. I mean, the obvious intent of the questions was to remind Peter of his point of his greatest failure. But I love how one author describes them. He says that these questions were mercifully brutal. You ever thought about those words put together? Mercifully brutal. You don't typically think about mercy and brutality going together. But I want you to know that the Lord's questions here were intended to bring Peter to a place where he acknowledged and admitted his sin and his failure so that he could be restored. Brothers and sisters, let me say this to you. Forgiveness and restoration only come when there has been an honest acknowledgement and admission of sin and failure. You cannot dismiss, you cannot gloss over your shortcomings and your failings as being inconsequential if you truly want to experience forgiveness and restoration. And that's why this interchange between Jesus and Peter is so important. You see, if the Lord had not dealt with Peter's betrayal, both he and the other disciples, I believe, would have continued to think that he was somehow unworthy, somehow inferior to the rest of them. Instead, because of the way that Jesus not only forgave Peter, but publicly restored him in front of the other disciples who were present, well, from this point forward, Peter's past would have been... In his past. And the Lord then went on to commission him to greater service. In fact, that leads me to the third hook. We move from failure to forgiveness and restoration to the third hook is, is purpose. 
Notice with me that not only did Jesus ask Peter if he loved him, but in light of Peter's affirmation that he did, Jesus then declared for Peter what that love required. He said, look, if you love me, feed my lambs. In other words, Peter's love for Jesus and his restored relationship with the Lord were to be displayed in, in Peter's pastoral care for the Lord's flock. In fact, all three times, Peter's affirmation of love for Jesus, after every one of them, the Lord said something along the same lines. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, in light of Peter's declaration of his love for Jesus, Jesus then commissions him to go out and to take care of his sheep. Peter is given the tremendous responsibility of pastoring people. He was given the purpose, a purpose in life that went past anything that he had ever experienced before. But it didn't stop there. Notice, notice what Jesus tells Peter next in verse 18. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, walked where you wished, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird and carry you where you do not wish. And then John interprets what Jesus meant and tells us he spoke signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Jesus' words here are somewhat cryptic, a little bit mysterious, but most scholars believe that, that this was his way of forecasting how Peter's life would come to an end. With, with him stretched out on a cross, crucified just as Jesus had been crucified. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Peter lived by most historians and, and, and tradition tells us, he lived for another 30 years after this. And he lived those three decades of his life with that prophecy hanging over him that this would be the way that he would die. And history tells us that ultimately he was crucified. He was crucified at the hands of the Roman emperor Nero. Tradition tells us that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he did not believe himself worthy to be crucified in the exact same manner in which Jesus had been crucified. Nevertheless, here is, is what I want you to note. From this point on the shore here at the Sea of Galilee forward, Peter lived his life with a purpose and he lived his life sacrificially in service of his Lord. Now there's one last thing I want to bring to your attention from this passage. Notice that after Jesus tells Peter to follow him and how he's going to, his life is going to come to an end, notice that Peter turns around and looks at John and says, but what about him? I mean, Jesus, you've just given me a fairly ominous prediction of what my future is going to look like. What about old John over here? Now, right about here, you just wish, Peter, couldn't you quit while you were ahead? <laughs> and you can just kind of see the rest of the disciples going, oh, no, getting away from that one. Unfortunately, like so many of us, Peter did not quit while he was ahead. Jesus immediately turned to him and rebuked Peter by saying in verse 22, look, if I desire or if I will, if I desire that he remains till I come. What is that to you? Follow me. 
Brothers and sisters, let me say that these words of Jesus to Peter serve as a warning to every one of us in this room. It serves as a warning to us collectively as a church body. You see, in following Jesus, we must keep our eyes on Him. We follow Jesus. We keep our eyes on Him and the path that He is leading us down. We must resist the temptation to turn and look at others either in jealousy or in an air of superiority that look what we're doing and how we're living our lives so much better than they are. Jesus has called us to a specific purpose and a specific role that we are to live our lives in service of Him. And our responsibility is to be faithful in fulfilling that purpose, to fulfilling our calling, to fulfilling our ministry. Our mission is not measured by comparing ourselves to others. God never called us to get into horizontal Holy Spiritism. He called us to live a life that follows Him. And that life will be measured by how faithful we are in following Jesus in the path that He leads us on. Now, when we take all of this that we've looked at in this morning and we take it into consideration, what we realize is that our failures in the past, they do not disqualify us from the hope of a bright future of glorifying God. And the reason that is the case is because Christ forgives and He restores and He gives purpose in living. And that leads me to my sermon in a sentence. Now, most of the time, let me just say this to you guys. This, most of the time when I give you my sermon in a sentence, I start hearing it. I start hearing the everything closes up. He's about done. It's time to get ready, stretch and figure out. Oh, look at the time he's getting done. Don't, 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 don't shut off just yet. Here's my sermon in a sentence for you this morning. This is the summary, I believe, of what I have said thus far. There is hope for those who have failed to experience forgiveness and restoration and then to live their lives with a unique purpose in service of the Lord. Listen, if you came in this room today and you were dragging with you a sack behind you that's filled with all the failures of your past, read that again. There is hope for you today. There is hope. No matter what you failed, no matter what you've done, there is hope for you to be forgiven and to be restored. And there is also continued hope that God is going to place upon you a purpose for you to live your life, a unique purpose cut out for you for the rest of your life to live in service of the King. If you don't get anything else this morning, get that. Now, can you understand why I love preaching? John 21 now. Here's where Craig's got to hold it together, okay? Y'all pray for me. I've got to hold it together here. I love preaching this passage. And as a point of personal privilege this morning, I'm going to take it to share with you my testimony. Many of you have heard it, and you know it. Others of you may have been a while. Maybe you've never heard my story before. But I want to share it with you this morning. Back in 1994, after quite a number of years of, of running away from God, 
I surrendered to the Lord. And I surrendered to the call to preach the gospel. And I don't use the word surrender flippantly because I want you to know that even though I had grown up as a pastor's kid, spent my entire life as a preacher's kid, I absolutely did not want to preach. But God was merciful to me as a rebellious young man. He withheld from me the judgment that I deserved for disobeying him and rebelling against him. And he was patient with me. And he was kind to me in my rebellion. In fact, for years, the Lord persevered with me as I lived rebelliously, pursuing my own wants and, and disregarding his will for my life. But on Easter Sunday, April the 3rd, 1994, I surrendered. I gave up. I stopped running from the Lord. And I submitted to the plan that God had for my life. And that Sunday evening, with tears literally dripping off of my cheeks, I relinquished the control that I had of my own life and the own plans that I had made for myself and I accepted the call of God upon my life. Later, on May the 29th of that same year, I preached my very first sermon. And it was somewhat autobiographical. Um, as I recall, the entire sermon lasted about 12 minutes. I know y'all don't think I can preach 12 minutes. But I did then. The text that I used for that very first sermon that I ever preached came from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, from verses 54 through verses 62. And it was of the life of Peter. And it was specifically over what happened on the night that Jesus was arrested. And Luke tells us in, in, Luke, in, in chapter 22, verse 54, that when they took Jesus away, he uses a specific phrase. He said that Peter followed at a distance. Then down in verse 55 of that same passage, he says that Peter sat among the ones who had just arrested Jesus. And then he goes on to recount what we've already mentioned today, that Peter systematically denied knowing Jesus three separate times. And what I want you to know is that embedded in that passage is the anatomy of a backslider. A backslider, one who falls away, one who, who drops back from following close to the Lord can be described exactly this way. You see, rather than being right next to Jesus, which is where Peter had said that he would be, rather than fighting for Jesus, which is exactly what Peter said he would do, Peter followed at a distance. He warmed himself by the fire of the enemy. And in the darkness of that night, there would have been no distinguishable difference between Peter and the enemies of Christ. And the reason that I believe the Lord led me to that passage for my very first sermon is because even though I hadn't really realized it, my life had imitated Peter's. As I moved from childhood into adolescence and then from adolescence into adulthood, 
even though I was a Christian, my walk with the Lord could only have been described as distant. I began to chase the things of the world and I began to pursue my own desires. And rather than staying close to Jesus and sticking with his word, I followed him at a distance. And as a result, I began warming myself by the fires of those who had no allegiance to the Lord. Those who, in fact, were the Lord's enemies. Their conversations became my conversations. Their language became my language. Their goals became my goals. In fact, I am ashamed to stand before you and say that as a young man serving overseas in the United States Navy, if anyone had ever looked at my life, they would not have been able to tell any distinguishable difference between me and those who had no relationship with God whatsoever. I want you to know just like Peter, I know what it's like to fail. And to fail miserably. I know what it's like to fall flat on my face. And disappoint those closest to me. And to disappoint the Lord. But I also want you to know that though that is my testimony, that like Peter, I was a failure and have continued to fail. I want you to know it's also my testimony that the Lord forgave me and restored me. Restored me to fellowship with him. I really have no other way to describe to you what happened in my life. I will not go into details but I have no other way to say that the Holy Spirit crushed me in 1994. He was brutally merciful to me. And he brought me to repentance. And with that repentance came forgiveness and restoration and a calling that absolutely scared me to death and still does. But it has been a calling placed upon my life that has been a greater blessing to me than I could have ever imagined. In fact, that's where my personal testimony intersects with Peter's once more. You see, as many of you have heard me say on many other occasions, my calling into pastoral ministry can be defined by two things. Feeding the Lord's sheep and loving his sheep. Brothers and sisters, that is why I stand before you week after week after week and I hold up to you the word of God and I say this is the word of God for the people of God because this is the, this is the only food that will ever satisfy your soul. I'm not called up here to give you my opinions on things. I'm not called up here to give you platitudes and cliches. None of those things are going to support you when everything in your life falls apart. The only thing that you will have when those times come is the word of God that has been given to you through the 66 books that we have right here. I believe it is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. And I do not shrink away from declaring it to you in the whole counsel that God has given it to us. It is the only thing. It's the only food that I've got. He's called me to feed his sheep. This is the food and that is what I'm called to do. 
And let me say to you that if I do not feed you from God's word, I am not showing love to you. Listen, the scriptures reveal some very specific things about you and about me. It tells us that we are lost and undone apart from Christ. It tells us that our lives are are miserable and hopeless and helpless and that we have only one destination in front of us apart from Jesus and that is an eternity suffering punishment from God in hell. That may sound harsh and it may sound some sort of insensitive. I assure you it is not. I want you to know that it is not love when I don't tell you that which you need to know. And I don't tell it to you as someone who is superior over you. I tell you as one who was right there with you in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. And because I have experienced it, that is why it overflows out of my heart and why I tell you this. I was lost and undone, but Jesus Christ saved me and He gave me hope. And consequently, the most loving thing that I can do is point you to the only one who can remedy your situation. You cannot save yourself from the penalty of sin. But Jesus can. In fact, He has done everything necessary for you to be saved and forgiven and set free. He suffered and died for sinners just like you who will repent of their sin and will place their faith in Him. And I made this statement last week and I want to repeat it again this week. No matter where you have been or what you have done, the Lord Jesus stands ready to save you. If you've been saved but you've fallen away and you've made a mess out of your life, He stands ready to forgive you and to restore you and to give you a focus and give you a purpose in life. So in light of all of that, and I want to just give you some lessons that I want us to be able to walk away with this morning. And the first one is this. The God who knows the worst about you loves you anyway. The God who knows the absolute worst about you loves you anyway. You think about this. Jesus knew how Peter would fail even before Peter did. He he said, Simon, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter did exactly that. The Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, what was true for Peter is also true for you and for me. When you fail, you don't have to run away in shame. God knows you. He knows exactly everything about you. And He loves you anyway. Enough to die on the cross in your place that you might be forgiven. That brings me to the second lesson. The second lesson is this, no matter how far you have fallen, Jesus can and will restore you. Peter had denied him, but Jesus is still the one who cooked breakfast for him on the sea. I I, I made this statement one other time preaching from this sermon. I love fish. I never really have thought much about fish for breakfast. Can you imagine sitting on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus? Jesus having served you roasted fish. I can't imagine that there'd be anything any better in the whole world. Jesus still cooked Peter breakfast so that he could have fellowship with him. Jesus invites you to the same thing. He invites you to a restored fellowship with him. No matter what sin may have come into your life, the Savior who willingly went to the cross to die for you loves you and he pursues you And he calls you to come to him and to sit down with him and to enjoy his fellowship. But now listen, if you understand those first two lessons, 
then you have to also understand the last one. Because you see, His forgiveness and His restoration mean things will never be the same again in your life. In fact, the third lesson is this. Jesus has a purpose and a mission specifically designed for you. Peter had failed miserably, but in John 21, he was commissioned to be a pastor of the Lord's sheep. To feed them from the very Word of God. He may be calling some of you to do that exact thing. I don't know. Some of you, he may be calling you to just be the father and the mother that you need to be to shepherd the hearts of your children. He may be calling you to become a greater witness for him in your workplace or among your friends. He may be impressing upon some of you to take a more active role in service of the Lord here in His church. What the Lord's specific calling upon your life is, I do not know. But what I do know is this. The Lord forgives and He restores in order that we might be obedient in our service of Him. As I've said many times, He has not saved us to sit and to soak, but to be squeezed out for His service. The Lord Jesus called Peter to follow him. And brothers and sisters, he calls us to do the same thing. And he calls us to pursue him regardless of the cost and regardless of the sacrifice. Those who have been forgiven by him must seek to bring him glory by following him and living their lives for him. There is no other way. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and you've never come to repentance of your sins and asked Him to forgive you, then this morning I want you to know, I want to invite you to do exactly that. I want to invite you to stop running, to plant your feet, and say, I'm not traveling another step down the road of disobedience to the Christ. And right now, I am going to repent of my sins and ask Jesus to save me. I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. That's a bold step. But it's a bold step that will make a lasting transformation in your life. Maybe you've done that in the past, but you found yourself back on the wrong road and you've traveled farther down that road than you wanted to. What I want you to know is there's a Savior who's still calling you to come and have breakfast with Him. There's a Savior who's still calling you to repent of your sins and to come back and be restored, be forgiven and restored and given a mission in your life that will exceed anything you could ever imagine. I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to have a, our time of invitation and we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And this altar is going to be open. Pastor Ted, Pastor Dave are going to be up front. I'm going to be up front. We're ready to come and receive you to pray with you. Maybe you just need to spend some time in, the, in prayer with the Lord this morning on your own. What I want you to know is that if you will humble yourself before the Lord Jesus and you will find the mercy that he offers. And you will also find grace, the amazing saving grace that only he can bring. There is hope for those who have failed to, ex to experience forgiveness and restoration and then to live their lives with a unique purpose in service of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I do thank you for this time that you have given us today to study your Word Lord, I always thank you for the opportunity to be able to share what you've done personally in my life. But even more than that, what I thank you for is the work of the Holy Spirit in convincing of sin and, and bringing me to a place of repentance. And Lord, I know that you're calling. There are many in this room. I sense that you're calling the same to them. So Father, I pray that they would heed that which you 
call to them that they would hear you and that they would respond appropriately to your Holy Spirit's bidding in their lives. I ask these things so that you may be glorified in all that we do as individuals and as a church. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please, this morning?